And good afternoon and welcome to the Ministry of the Week Sunday message. This is Dave Naderhood and it is my privilege to be with you again today. And as we do each week, we take time to shine a spotlight into the great things that God is doing all around this beautiful Bay Area. As uh, we know, many places in the country think of the Bay Area and they don't think the Bible Belt. They think that maybe God's forgotten about us over here in Northern California. But we know that that's not not the case at all, and that God is uh, hard at work calling hearts and minds to come and follow his son, Jesus Christ. And as you've had opportunity today to be in worship, perhaps you've uh, gone to church already this morning, and you're on your way home, or perhaps you're looking for a church. Part of the reason we have this broadcast is to help you get connected and growing in a local congregation that is preaching and teaching the Word of God and sometimes to highlight different ministries outside the church where you can get involved and plugged in. And this week is no exception, as this past week we interviewed Jonathan Fuentes, one of the young pastors on staff at School of Urban Mission, SUM, in Oakland. And he's also a part of Points of Light, which is meets on the same campus. That's their youth ministry outreach and we talked about Serve Now, which is a young youth and young adult service project happening this summer. Serve Now is an opportunity coming in July to have uh, empowering sessions of worship and practical workshops. And then going out to serve alongside of the SUM team on community projects and uh, doing team building activities and having a wrap up concert at the end of the week. You'll be fed and well cared for. Again, this is geared toward young people uh, ages 14 up to 20. And if you have a child or grandchild who might be interested in this, they really want it to be a time where where young people become empowered and fired up by the Holy Spirit to serve the city. Serve Now begins on July 26th, that's a Tuesday, and it ends on July 30, that's a Saturday. And for each student, uh, the cost is $70. That includes the lodging, the meals, as well as the uh, Friday evening concert. So all the young people around the Bay Area from Monterey past Sacramento and all the cities in between, we encourage you to find out more about this by going to P-O-L Oakland, that's for Points of Light, P-O-L Oakland dot O-R-G, and you can find out more there about the Serve Now project coming up this summer. You can also register by getting in touch with Jonathan Fuentes by calling his cell or texting him 909-800-2245. That number again, 909-800-2245. So that was this past week's emphasis on the points of light, the youth ministry that operates on the grounds there of uh, School of Urban Mission, SUM. SUM is a wonderful missions training school. It's a place where urban missions are taken seriously and where young people, young adults, people who want to have a, at a, a much reduced rate to most seminaries uh, be able to get some theological training and get out there and serve. So SUM Bible College and Seminary is located in East Oakland, 735 105th Avenue in Oakland, and you can reach them by phone, 510 510- Five six seven six one seven four. That number again five ten five six seven six one 
The easiest way, though, to find out a lot of information about SUM is to simply go to their website, sum.edu. Real easy to remember, sum, for School of Urban Missions, .edu. And you can find out information there about their their history, about the president, George No, who founded it. He is also the founder of Points of Light. And today we're going to have a message that was delivered at one of the seminary chapels by their chief academic officer, Bruce Coates. And the message that you're going to hear today, he's taking from John chapter 2. But again, I want to encourage you to pray for SUM as it trains up young leaders, leaders who are coming from from the cities of the Bay Area and being trained to go right back into their neighborhoods. And so uh, when we see our city as a mission field, uh, not as a place to escape from, but as a place to lean into and to bring the love of Jesus Christ to the streets of San Francisco and Oakland and San Jose, that these are God's children in oftentimes not great neighborhoods. Well, SUM is the kind of school where young men and women are being equipped to, with the Word of God, being equipped to go in and show Christ's love and mercy in the urban context. Once again, find out more about SUM by going to their website, sum.edu. Now, once again, here is Dr. Bruce Coates with today's Ministry of the Week Sunday message taken from John chapter 2. There are voices everywhere screaming for our attention in all situations. Sometimes I hear preachers tell stories, maybe you've heard this too, and it sounds like they wake up in the morning and they hear these voices, the voice of God, and they say, yes, let's go take on the day. I wake up in the morning and I hear the voice of my pillow saying, won't you stay with me? I need you to comfort me. And then I start to go about my day. I, some of this, I think, comes from hanging around college students too long. We, we go into class and we get ready to take a test. It is midterm week, remember? And we get ready to take a test and we think we're brilliant and we've talked ourselves into this and the voice has been ours and we say, you've got this, you're brilliant, you can do this, you got this, you're brilliant, you got another C. Ever look at a girl and just know, you tell yourselves, that's the one. And you're convincing yourself, God is speaking to me, telling me her name. This is going to be a memorable moment. What a great story I'll tell the youth group someday when I'm youth pastor. And about three seconds later, a guy rounds the corner and kisses her and you can tell, they're married. And suddenly you see the ring, yep, they're married, all of that must not have been the voice of God, huh? Funny thing about those kinds of situations, we always think it's the voice of God, but she doesn't always think it's the voice of God, you know what I mean? Sometimes we get in tight situations. We wonder why we get there. It seems like it's the voice of God leading us. However, that's not always the case, is it? Because there's all sorts of voices in this world screaming for our attention. And God's voice is one of those voices. There's also the voice of caffeine crying out, you need more of me. You need more of me. There's the voice of the television in your 422 channels. 
You can surf through those and suddenly you'll hear a nice Australian accent. The next thing you'll know, you'll turn and you'll have a commercial for some sort of diuretic. After that, you'll flip. Don't want that. You'll turn and then you'll have another channel. And on that channel will be something completely different. Voices flooding, grabbing, screaming, wanting more and more of your attention. And then suddenly you land on a channel and there's just silence. Not because it's a great thing and because God's causing, calling you to meditate, because there's just no channel there. So you keep surfing and you end up with all of these voices screaming and crying for your attention. And sometimes God becomes just one more of those voices. Let's, let's concentrate for a moment on those voices and what those voices are. And before we get to the mass media circus and how they make clowns of us, and, but really, it's not. we're not in the circus with them. Or before we get to the music industry or any of those other kinds of voices, I'm aware of advertising and the theories about it. Let's say that for another day. Let's look at, let's look at just four voices, shall we? Those four voices are, are God's, ours, because, you know, you have a voice in the whole thing. You talk to your... Do you talk to yourself? Most people do talk to themselves. Talking to yourself is not... This is an old joke. Okay, I'm just forewarning you. It's not bad when you talk to yourself. It's not even bad when you ask, start asking yourself questions. But when you say, what did you say to yourself? You got a few issues there. That's time to get that one checked out. There's also the voice of, there's also the voice of other people. Friends. Parents. Siblings, roommates, all of those kinds of people, all of those coming for your attention. And then there's the voice of the enemy. And the Bible recognizes these four voices throughout the entirety of Scripture. Not always together, though if you would turn with me to 1 John chapter number 2, we will find them together. But you can find these voices throughout all of Scripture, clamoring for your attention. Psalm 119, which is an exposition on the Word of God, the Law of God, as you may know it as the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 tells us about the Word of God. It tells us about the voice of God in our lives. It tells us about our own voice. It also talks to us about being deceived by the voice of the enemy. And those voices all converge together. Important reasons exist for us to separate those voices. When we think that something is God's idea, it may only be our idea. Sometimes we think something is our idea, but really it's the work of the enemy in our lives. Sometimes we think it's our friends, but it's really our friends. God, the enemy is using our friends, and sometimes God is using your friends. And so all of these voices come together for us to try to figure out what exactly are all of these voices telling us, and what do we need to do because these voices are out there, and what are they trying to tell us? First John chapter number 2, verse number 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But all that is in the world... That desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. But the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. Um, you may have a paragraph break there in your Bible, but I just want to keep it all together here for a moment. Paragraph breaks were added by editors relatively recently. So let's keep going with verse number 18. Dear children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. They went out from us, but they are not of us. 
If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that we are not of his. But have you been anointed? But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. Not the Antichrist as such, but just the spirit of being against Christ. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son, verse number 23, has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, abiding is never a mental thing in John. Abiding always has greater implications when John uses the word. It's always about something deeper. And so abiding here doesn't mean just remember what you've heard, but let what you've heard seep down into the deep crevices of your spirit so that when you are talking to yourself, the things you're telling yourself are... Back to the text. Verse number 25. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just it was taught you, abide in Him. The term self-talk is not is relatively a new term, and you can find it appearing around sometime in the 60s, um, but the thought has been around for a long time. It's as ancient as man. The stories that we tell each other and what we tell ourselves and what those actually do. It's things that we convince ourselves as really true. And the Bible talks about that and tells us that we should renew our minds so that the self-talk, and though it doesn't use that term, that's what it's getting at, the things that we tell ourselves aren't poisoning us and changing us for the negative. John says, let what you have heard abide in you. There's also God's voice because God speaks in a variety of ways to us. He speaks through the Word of God. We know that He speaks through Scripture. We also know that sometimes He speaks to us in our spirits. Never to violate the Word of God, but to illuminate specific situations so that we know how we ought to walk. Some people take that to an extreme, I'm well aware. Some people wake up and believe the Spirit is telling them what socks to put on. Let me be the voice of God for a moment on that one. The clean ones. Do your laundry. Your roommate will appreciate it. All of these voices, and so some people take the voice of God a little bit too much to an extreme. I'm not going to stop listening to God because of that. I I have one of my three kids can use like... You know, the average person maybe uses twenty to 25,000 words a day. That's her in about an hour. Um, I'm not going to stop listening to her just because sometimes she abuses my ear. And I'm not going to stop listening to God just because other people abuse the voice of God. I want to hear what God has to say to me and believe that He still may illuminate my heart yet today. And for those who would disagree with that, that He does that, I would feel sorry for them. They are, they are left to try to make choices in a contemporary era, looking at things that, that don't always address it as completely as what you would hope. So I depend on the voice of God. And sometimes other people, when they speak into my life, they have just the right thing to say. And sometimes other people, not even knowing, they have just the wrong thing to say. Have you ever noticed when you are fasting, everybody around you invites you to eat? They were inviting you to eat before you were fasting, probably, but you just hear it louder when you're fasting. 
Because you also hear your stomach. And they say, would you come and eat? And you want to say, get, me be- get thee behind me, Satan. You are not. That is not God's voice. It's not. They don't intend to be the voice of the devil. But, you know, sometimes the devil uses the voice of other people to convince us of things that aren't really true. And sometimes, sometimes God uses the people around us to speak life into us. And so I want to pay attention to the voices around me. And First John speaks of all four of these types of voices because there are many voices that scream for our attention. And of those voices, we need to understand how to sort out those voices that, so that we can know what is really seeking our attention. And so I recommend to you a test of five questions to determine what is really crying out for your attention. And those five questions come from First John chapter 2. So let me give them to you, not necessarily in any particular order, but they are a pattern that is found in Scripture. Number one, what desires are fed by the voice, verses 15 through 17. You have these desires, and it names three really big ones. The pride of life, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh. There's a danger in doing it this way. I recognize it's more of a pragmatic, rhetorical approach. Uh, and I understand there's a danger of doing, looking at what does the voice do, because you have to project in the future and say, what kind of desire is this feeding into the future? But you still, there's still a really good way to look and say, what is this voice telling me and what, what desires are being fed? If it's an only godly desire that would increase, that's not the right voice. So much of the time we ignore this factor because we don't reflect on this very well. And we just don't reflect well at all. We are way too busy with all of the other voices that stream across our internet, allowing us to watch any movie at any time on demand, even three in the morning. College students have interesting sleep patterns. So much of the time, so therefore, we just don't reflect to ask ourselves what desires are being fed by this voice. What desires are increasing because I've been here? We aren't always able to know what is growing inside of us until it has grown to be a monster that takes over. Yet Psalm 119.88 says that in your steadfast love you give me life that I may keep the testimonies. Mark chapter 4, Jesus said, others are the, are the ones, the seed that are, that are sown amongst thorns. It's thorns, I'm sorry. And those are who hear your word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. What desires? But I say, Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you are listening to the voice of the Spirit, you are less likely to have the desires of the flesh gratified and therefore growing. But all of this is in the world. The desires of the flesh, John said, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. And things speak to us. That website speaks to you. And you keep listening. You delete it from, your, from, from, your, from the history, hoping no one will go in and discover that you have that hidden website you keep going to, sir. But you know what it is. And every time you go back there, it speaks to you. Tells you that relationships aren't real and what you see on the screen is real. You ought to cast that down and if you need help, get help. Some of us, some of us, our relatives are speaking, but they're not telling us what God wants us to hear. Isn't it time that you stop listening to some of those friends? Some of those friends that are going to increase ungodly desires in your life? 
Maybe you want to listen to them just a little bit less. Give them a little bit less priority in your life. What desires are fed? Many voices scream for our attention. The only way that we know which one we ought to listen to is by a test that allows us to say which one is what, what is fed by this voice. What desires are growing? What identity does the voice reinforce? First John chapter 2, verse number 19. They went out from us, but they are not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. Too many times the voices are telling us things about our identity that are not true. We listen to a voice that tells us that we are less than what God says we are. You are who you are because that's what God said about you. Not because some other voice said it about you. You are a child of God. Isn't it about time you started acting like His child? You are a son or a daughter of royalty. To walk around as though your identity has been put upon you by some other voice simply does not honor God. It's not fitting. You're a child of God. You are part of the great company of prophets that Luke displayed in his writing. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's the voice and the identity you should embrace. But the enemy lies to us about our, about our identity. I tell you, stop listening to the media circus. They keep telling you that you're a clown for believing what the Bible says about purity. They keep lying to you, telling you that if you hold out that some lifestyles are pure and some are not, that you must be a clown. You are not the one who is in the circus. And that is not the identity of a child of God. A child of God looks at, looks at who they are and they say, I want to not be a part of what is written in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 19. They were part of us, but they went out from us because they weren't really of us. Isn't that a little scary? That someone you could go through Bible college with might walk out from here and not have been one of us. I could take you to the Facebook page, actually, page after page. Not like hundreds, but enough to make my heart cry. Of people who I went to Bible college with, who went out from there, but were not really of us. They didn't walk the way that God had for them when they left. It scares me to think that I, that I could be one of those who maybe would walk for a while as a Christian, but my identity would never be stabilized as though God had written who I was. John is all about his, the identity in his first epistle. He makes grand statements about our identity and who we are. We are tr tempted to think that this is a passage that is really about the Antichrist, the Antichrist, because of, of chapter 2, verse number 18. But really it is about the spirit of being against Christ because the enemy doesn't have to do that. The enemy can do whatever he wants to try to deceive you. He doesn't have to turn you into a satanic worshiper. All he really wants to do is confuse you and your identity identity and he will have won. He wants to convince you that you are something that the world's been telling you that you are. That you are who you were told when you were a small child. But that's not who you were. You are who God said you are because God said that's who you are. You're not who that father who abandoned you says that you are by his actions. You're a child and a daughter of the king. And when we listen to voices that tell us something else about our identity, we are very confused about it. The enemy simply moves in and uses all of those things. 
My identity is found in the one who inhabits me. Paul said that we are a temple of the Spirit of God. David said that the law was inside of him, guiding him. Jesus said that the desires point to our identity, John 8, 44. And that you know that you are the children of God because of what you desire, John 8, 47. John said that you know that you are God's because you hear and you obey. And that's how you know. And any voice that would try to tell you something else about your identity is not a voice of God. Whether it's the self-talk that you have when you are all alone or what you hear when you hang out with friends or relatives at a family reunion. You are who you are because God said that's who you are. Not because anyone else said anything else about you. Many voices scream for our attention. How do you sort out competing voices seeking to get your attention? What desires are fed? What identity is being reinforced? Is the truth being told? John chapter, First uh, John chapter two, verse number twenty through twenty-three. The voice gets right to the point about the truth, because the voice of God always points us in the direction of truth. Jesus said, "I am the way and the truth." Truth is a person in Jesus Christ. That's why John begins his gospel with the the word was in the beginning. It's not talking about the Bible being in the beginning. He has a word play going on there, using things that were common when John wrote and the understanding in the, on the street about the word logos. And he's trying to tell them that something that's a little different than what you may first perceive. That Jesus is the personification of God, but He also came with a, with a word for us. And all of that combined together walked among us. He had existed from the beginning, but He comes as the truth a personification of the truth in the realest way, walking among us. Of all the voices that scream, this might be one that is the loudest, trying to get to it, trying to tell us what is true and what is not true. But look at the progression in these verses, verses 20 through 23. You all have the Spirit, it says, therefore you have knowledge. No lie is of the truth, and you know the truth, so you know what is truth and what is a lie. The liar denies that Jesus is the Christ. No one who denies the Father has the Son, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father. So the enemy moves in and tries to disrupt this process, telling you that you will never be worth anything. But we should really look back and say that is not the truth, that is not what God has said, and that's not truth-telling. True identity, truth and identity are directly related to each other. I may not be a super-Christian, but at least I'm His, and that's a true statement. I may not be the best expositor of the Word, but I care and I work hard, and that's what God has said about me. I may not be the most powerful of forces, but the Spirit resides in me. And you want to look at what truth is being told here, and how is the truth not being represented. People come into my office from time to time, students, and they're trying to sort things out in their life. Is God calling them? To what is He calling them? Um, How do they really know all of that? Do I even really know anything more than I'm sitting here? You know, all of these great existential questions that they want want to try to work out. That's why there's a box of Kleenex on my desk. Sometimes these things come with a few tears, and so we try to talk that through and work some of this out, and I always want to get to what is the enemy's lie here, and what is God's truth? Because the enemy has a plan for your life. According to John chapter 10, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And God, Jesus, came so that you can have life and have it more abundantly. The truth is, the enemy would love to lie to you. He'd love to destroy who you are. 
And it's important that you sort out what is it that God is saying? What is the enemy saying? Is the truth really being told? Put false ways, Psalm 119, verse number 29. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Verses 47 and 48 of Psalm 119. For I think my, for I find my delight in your commandments which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments which I love and I will meditate on your statutes. Over and over again, he tells us throughout all of Psalm 119 about the truth and making sure we walk according to the truth. What desires are fed? That helps you sort out the voices that are screaming for your attention. What identity does this voice reinforce? It helps you to know, really, where am I going? And is this something of value? Is the truth being told? And then the fourth question is, is life being created? Is life created? Look at verses 24 and 25. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Now, that question is actually a very dangerous question. Because the enemy will seep in and will try to convince you that you are more alive and more brought to life when you engage in things that you know aren't godly things. You know that you are not really more alive when you are engaging in adult, intimate behavior outside of marriage. You know you're not. But the enemy tells you you're never more alive. But you know that's not true. You know the truth because lies do not exist inside of the Christian until someone puts them there. The Spirit of God has come in and purified you of those things according to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. But your mind will get carried away if you are not careful. And suddenly you will be convinced that some things bring you to life that have nothing to do with life. They're all about death. It's easy pass this one by and not even pay attention to it. But the words of Jesus Christ have life according to John chapter 6. And because of that, we ought to pay attention to it. Verse number 25 of 1 John chapter 2, and this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. And that promise, according to the previous verse, resides in us. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. That life is inside of you. You have passed from death to life, Paul would say. And when you do that, protect that life which is inside of you. Stop letting things come in and try to destroy that life. The voices that are trying to destroy your life and eat away at spiritual life are voices that are subtle. They masquerade as though they're light when they're really darkness. The story that you are telling doesn't bring life Why even tell that story to yourself? Most of self-talk studies demonstrate that we can achieve more with positive self-talk. There are things like people swim faster when they engage in self-talk. They do better at tennis. There are all these studies that are out there that say that positive self-talk is a wonderful thing and you should engage in it. My grandpa, in his southern Missouri working man kind of wisdom, was against self-talk. He just thought it was a bunch of nonsense. Funny, though. He accomplished so much more than his grandsons thought possible because he convinced himself it was possible if he just tried. It's a real thing. Self-talk is a real thing. And we ought to look at, at ourselves sometimes and say, what I'm telling myself really about eternal life? Or is this about something else? What are you feeding into your mind? Well, that one's easy, but you know, let me just pause for about five seconds on it. Guard your mind with what you put in it. 
Some will hear this and think that this is the right time for me to rail, rant, rave, spit a little, jump, shout. That isn't going to keep you from listening to a radio station you shouldn't listen to or going to a web page you shouldn't be on. Guard your mind. Guard what, guard what you are telling yourself and what other people are convincing you to tell yourself. Does eternal life follow yourself? Talk, meditate on things that are wonderful. There's anything lovely, anything good, any positive. There be any virtue in it. Dwell on these things. That's how you have positive self-talk. It's the value of fasting. You shut out everything else so you can hear the voice of God. Psalm 119, verse number 50 says it this way. This is my comfort in my affliction that you promise gives me life. 119, verse number 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. In righteousness, give me life. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Romans 6, verse number 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that, get, that leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. These things are inside of you. What are those voices doing for you? And inside of you. What desires are fed? What identity does the voice reinforce? Is the truth told? How is life created? It helps us to sort out the many voices that are screaming for our attention. And the fifth question, how does this voice tell a story? Verses 26 through 27 of this passage talk to us about that. I write these things to you. I'm writing to you a bit of a story about those who are trying to deceive you. But you have an anointing from the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. He has written on your heart. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he talks about that and how we have this written on our heart. Ezekiel prophesied it, that there would come a time in which the promises of God would be written on the hearts of men. That story that He's put inside of you, He wants you to live out. But so much of the time, we ignore what that story is going to be. Every one of my graduate students knows that I'm obsessed with narrative, with the stories that we tell verbally or what we tell inside of us. Particularly, I like the stories that we tell that we don't know we are telling. Those are probably the most important. Some voices that we hear tell us a story about what our life would be like if we would just drop out of Bible college. Man, God called you here. God didn't call you here so that He could just take you out of here. Why do you think He called you here? That story that He was writing in your life when He brought you here was a story He intended to bring to completion. Stick with it until that story, that part of that chapter is complete. If God is calling you here, wonderful, be here. What I never quite get are the people who come here, knowing that this is a single-focus college, we train people for ministry. They come here and they say, I don't intend to go into ministry. Dude, why did God call you here? God called you here because He's going to call you into ministry. Just stop listening to everything else and say, All right, God, you called me here for a purpose and I know that. What is that purpose? Oh, that purpose is so that I can get a C in an Old Testament class. No, no, it isn't. Oh, my purpose is so that I can meet a member of the opposite sex. She doesn't want you. You're not called. You haven't listened yet. You haven't stopped long enough to say, God, what do you have for me? That's like checkpoint number two on my list when I was searching for a spouse. I'm called to ministry. She's not called to ministry. Deal breaker. 
Right after are you saved? Well, okay, right after are you breathing? Then are you saved? Then are you called? We'll get to how you look later. We'll get to all the rest of that stuff a little bit later. You don't pass those tests. You may be an angel and I don't really care. I am interested in how is God going to write this story? And for 26 years, next Wednesday, he's been writing a pretty good story with me and Mrs. Coates. I am interested in what story is being told if I follow this voice. How will I live out God's story? Well, I can kind of sort of live it out. No, stop right there. Kind of sort of isn't going to get it done. It's not the right story. You may have a story that somehow fits inside of what the Word says, but may not be God's story for, what, for your life. It's a lot of choices that we see there in the side of the Word. Not everybody was called to vocational ministry, but you were. That's why He brought you here. It's a great place to study if you were. But sometimes we just get a little confused. And we think one thing when really God is saying and doing something just a little bit different. All because we don't recognize how God wants to add His glorious story to our story. We don't recognize how God wants to do something magnificent. If we just give Him the pen of our story and say, Go ahead, God, write whatever you want for my future. As long as you are writing the story of your future, you will get it wrong. I, the reason God did not tell me I would become an academic dean of a Bible college before it happened is I had screwed that one up. I'm just telling you right now, might be a smart guy. I'd have found all the wrong ways to try to do this. But God, in fact, I probably would have ran. I'd be in Nineveh. And God would say, we can have a cohort in Nineveh. That's okay. I can live with that. We'll discover you there. Somehow I'll work this out and you'll land back in Oakland and you'll be the act. God is writing a story for your life. And He may not tell you what's in the next chapter, but He's told you what's on the next page. He's told you what you need to know. And He wants you to live that out. That's the voice you should be following. What story is being told? The story isn't about transformation. You have to stop and ask about that story. Moses thought he had the right story. Thought he was going to write his own story for how he was going to lead his people. And at age 40, he thought, my story includes murder. No, it doesn't. Forty years later, he's been out in the middle of the desert, had a lot of time to listen to God say, here's my story for you. Think you're going to write your own story? Why don't you spend 40 years out in the Sinai Peninsula and I'll tell you a story. Forty years is a long time. You'll hear a lot of stories in 40 years. David was a man after God's own heart because he listened and followed God's story. When God stopped, stops telling the story, it's when you ought to really say, God, how did I, where did I go wrong? Where did I depart? It's what they did when God sent the children of Israel into exile. They had wandered from His story. And He needed to say, you've wandered so far from my story, the only thing I can do is let you go way off over there so that I can bring you back to where you need to be. Some people land in a place where they need, they need a little bit of help and they're there in life and they say, I'm addicted or whatever that might be and I need help. And they find a place to get help. And while they're there, they discover the story I have been living will only lead to my death. I need another story. That story is the story of Jesus Christ. And when He enters in and begins to author your story, He turns around whatever you thought was happening and sets you in a new direction. What story is being told by this voice? Because everywhere that Jesus went, He rewrote people's stories. 
people would come to him hurting and in pain and Jesus would say, let me give you a new story, repent. Turn around, reject the voice of the enemy. Repentance is when I reject the voice of the enemy and choose to live God's way. And Jesus would change their story. He would go to a man who had been blind and he'd change his story. No longer blind, but now I see. He'd go to the lame and he'd say, let me change your story. Let me help you walk. He'd go to those who were hurting and he'd say, let me heal you. He would go to those who had been tax collectors in a reviled place in society and he'd say, let me redeem you. Let me make you into a giver rather than a taker. And everywhere he went, he was transforming a story. Everyone's story when they come to Jesus Christ has a moment of transformation that then becomes a lifetime of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. How do you sort out the competing voices seeking to get your attention? What desires are fed? What identity does the voice reinforce? Is the truth being told? How is life being created? How does the voice tell a story that honors God? And when I sort those things out, I discover that somewhere in there, there's God's voice. Sometimes, sometimes my voice is kind of the same when I'm telling myself what I think I'm hearing, and sometimes I'm just off a little bit. Always the enemy's voice is trying to pull me away from those things. Wanting me to have a story that isn't God's story. Wanting to lead me away from life. I have to put myself in a position by trying to ask a few questions and get, get some answers. What is God doing in this situation right now? How is He speaking to me? How am I listening? What does He want to do in my life? Would you pray with me? God, I am grateful that You have given us the voice of Your Spirit inside of us, leading us and guiding us, taking us to Your place. God, I ask that You would help all of us who are here, all who are listening to this recording. I ask that You'd help us all across the world who are hearing this to ask ourselves what is it that God is trying to say and how can I listen and participate with what He wants to do in my life. Help us to sort out those various voices and know what direction You are taking us into. We thank You for it in Jesus' name. And that's all the time that we have for today's Ministry of the Week Sunday message. We're glad that you could join us today. If you have any questions about the message that you've just heard, we encourage you to get in touch with SUM, School of Urban Mission. The message you just heard was delivered by Dr. Bruce Coates at one of the seminary chapels. So that's why he was addressing the student body there. But we knew that it would be relevant to all of our listeners to hear the Word of God today. Uh, from a place where young people, young men and women, are being trained up to serve the Lord in an urban context. They're learning contextualized urban mission strategies and uh, learning how to bring the Word of God to bear in the streets of Oakland, as well as San Francisco, San Jose, and all the cities in between. So we're really pleased and delighted to be able to to work alongside great educational institutions and seminaries like SUM that are equipping people to be able to serve Jesus Christ in full-time ministry. As I like to remind everybody each week on this program, uh, the reason we do the Ministry of the Week is uh, to remind people that God is on the move here in the Bay Area. We don't believe for a moment that God has abandoned the San Francisco Bay Area. He's not left Northern California behind. But in fact, he is up to some great and amazing work. 
And we're here to help amplify that and help shine a spotlight into the many different corners and facets of what God's kingdom servants are doing to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in churches and in ministries like SUM, as Matthew 5.16 says, that, that not only believers but our neighbors can see our good deeds and give glory to God in heaven. Now, if you need help finding a church home or a ministry to get plugged in with, please get in touch with us here at the station. You can reach me, Dave Naderhood, here through kfax.com, our website. You can find my email address there. But maybe your church, uh, like the one I used to serve, is maybe smaller and it doesn't have a lot of outreach opportunities. Uh, an outreach like Points of Light, uh, that is a place where uh, meeting on the grounds there of SUM, where Points of Light is engaged in youth ministry all throughout Oakland. Maybe you'd like to volunteer some time with them. We encourage you to get in touch with us and we can help connect you to Points of Light or many dozens of other ministries happening right near your neighborhood. As we conclude today, I want to remind you that tomorrow at 7.35 p.m. and again at 10.35 p.m., we'll have a new Ministry of the Week, so we invite you to join us for that. And remember that the rest of this day and the rest of your week is full of God's presence. May His grace and mercy and peace be yours. Have a great afternoon, everybody. God bless.